You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Um, I don't have official um, Jair Alexander news, but I, I can say that I'm somewhat of an expert at reading between the lines. Um, doesn't look great. First of all, is Matt LaFleur coming to the podium essentially saying that he can't rule out a season-ending injury. Um, so that's not good. Even worse, potentially, is the fact that apparently they're going and trying to get second opinions. Now, you could technically get a second opinion on good news, but I don't really know why you would need to do that. In fact, um, if the news was could be three to six weeks, as I was sort of anticipating, because I heard AC joint sprains or whatever, maximum six weeks is what I was hearing yesterday, um, you would probably just want to play it by ear because it doesn't really matter. The only reason you need to get definitive second opinions, in my opinion, um, would be if you need to know in order to make a decision moving forward. And again, whether it's this week or next week, there's no decision to be made. You take it day to day and you consult the doctors and you see how it's going. You only really need to get second opinions if something drastic has to happen. For example, surgery. Surgery would be one reason for season-ending injury. And that may be essentially what they're doing um, you know, again, it could be a six week deal or whatever, but they've, they decide that the best recourse would be surgery and maybe the surgery recovery time is going to end up being more and whatever. Point is, if a doctor says I recommend surgery, it would make sense to want to get a second opinion and see what they say. The other is that it's bad enough news that they need to shut them down for the year or at least for a very long time, i.e. IR. And, um, Again, either way, it is bad news. It's just a matter of how bad. It's kind of switched from yesterday where it was uh, best case scenario he plays this week, worst case it's six weeks. It sounds like it's probably a minimum of six if I had to guess. So, you know, it is what it is. Now we're kind of on Kevin King watch, to be honest, as far as when can we get him back, Um, potentially looking at trades and other things. Um, I didn't take it too seriously when it was an edge rusher and people were asking me about trades because I assumed people that were doing that are people that just hated Preston and or Rashawn um, and felt the need to go out and find somebody better. But, um, you know, when you have two starters and, and some quality backups that you like, I have no expectation that the Packers are going to pull the trigger on some big name pass rusher. In this instance, we have um, basically two starters and a rookie and both starters are hurt right now. And so we're getting into dangerous territory to where at the very least you're going to have to get some additional depth in case of more injury so that you can just get through a game. If we assume Chandon is uh, strictly a slot guy, we've got Eric Stokes on the perimeter and Isaac Yadam on the perimeter, and that's basically it outside of uh, Shamar Jean Charles, who again is also just sort of a slot guy. Um so we literally have just enough to get through, um, again, pending Kevin King coming back. So aside from just the catastrophe of losing potentially the best player on this team, and I, I mean that in every sense, maybe not most important, but potentially most talented, gifted at this point, he's up there. Aside from that, um, there's the issue of a massive drop-off from Jair to either Stokes or King, 
and the fact that we just don't have players, and technically it's from uh, Jair to Isaac Yadam, which is even worse. Um, it's pretty bad. And if I'm being honest, as much as I am a Ted Thompsonite in terms of, nah, you know, I probably wouldn't do anything about that. It's a little, you know, no need to be crazy. If we really are in the of the opinion that this team is different and that there is a legitimate shot that this team can win a Super Bowl, um, I think it might be worthwhile to explore getting somebody that's not just competent, but actually kind of good. In other words, they come in and start, not back up Yadam. Unfortunately, with Sherman off the board, um, there's not really a lot to look at. If you look over at PFF, for example, as far as guys that they have in their top you know, 200 players that they had available or however many they had available, um, the guys that are still available, there's two left. One, they had 108th on their list of free agents, 176th. That would be Gary and Conley and DJ Hayden. Gary and Conley in 2018 and 2019 had a 64 and 64 overall grade, 68th overall and 57th overall. The other is DJ Hayden, who was a big name guy, former first round pick. He actually played quite well starting off and then just completely imploded. He went from being the 58, uh, excuse me, the 25th best and then the 11th best to just being garbage and not even playing football. Another way to put that is 75 overall grade, 77 overall grade, and 40 overall grade. In fact, um, Gary and Conley hasn't even played since 2019. He played for two different teams. So he was with the Raiders. He was a first-round pick, although it was kind of a iffy first-round pick because obviously that's what the Raiders do. They take guys that make people go, what? But um, took him in 2017. He played 2017, 2018, and then in 2019 they traded him to Houston, and then uh, he hasn't played since. This, by the way, is part of the problem with uh, some fans saying, why don't we just go out and get somebody, as though there's a pool of just elite players that are just hanging out waiting for the Packers to call. Um, If there was people out there like that, they'd be on a team right now. That's the whole thing. Sometimes there are situations that arise, but whatever complications there are, um, they're complications, right? They want too much money or whatever. Legal issues. um, And just going through a list here, I mean, there's, there's, geez, a thousand guys that you could get on the phone and call, but are any of them going to start above Yadam? Probably not, unless we're talking about Gladney, who's not currently available because he's, you know, going through stuff. But DJ Hayden, Michael Davis, Jeff Gladney, Gary and Conley, as was talked about, Quentin Dunbar, LaShawn Sims, Craig James, Justin Bethel, Nikel Roby Coleman, Johnson Batamosi, Bliddy Ray Wilson, Nico Thorpe, Sherrick McManus, uh, Jonathan Joseph, Tremont Williams is out there still at 37 years old. You could call him. Artie Burns, Jason Verrett, Philip Gaines, Antonio Hamilton. You getting the point? Like, there's just, there's no names here that I'm reading that are probably making you go, hey, there's one of those super elite shutdown, lockdown guys. He'll just slot in there where Jair was and never miss a beat. Eh, it's not really a thing. The only other option would be to do some sort of a trade, but... I, I don't know how that's possible because we have, as we know, next year is a nightmare. If you trade somebody, you trade for their contract as well. And so you have to take on the liability that comes with that contract this year, which there isn't much room in this year, or next year. Bottom line, I, I just, I don't exp- they have to do something, but I expect nothing drastic. Nothing at all. In fact, we've got guys like KB Onento on our practice squad right now. And when I say guys like, I mean he's pretty much the only one. But I fully would expect him to be activated and brought up to the active roster. If you don't like that, again, give me a name of somebody else. Maybe you have somebody in mind that you like. I mean, it comes down to opinion on some level, but I don't think there's help coming. I think this is what it is. And just for the record, I want to get out in front of this. I know it was just one random person on Twitter, but I saw it and it kind of annoyed me And just because it was such a confusing thing to say. Um, the Packers are not one of the most injured teams in football. In fact, they've been maybe the least injured team over the last five years. So instead of you know freaking out because this year we do have injuries and it, it seems to only be our top players, which is bad. It's not good at all. 
um, freaking out and blaming our training staff or whatever, whatever other nonsense you can try to think of, um, that doesn't make any sense for a lot of reasons. Again, one of the healthiest, if not the healthiest teams in the last five years. Last year, we had basically no injuries of any substance until David Bakhtiari at the end. Secondly, there are certain injuries that are relatively unavoidable, and training staff has nothing to do with it. Kevin King getting hit in the head and getting a concussion is not something the training staff can avoid. Jair Alexander spraining his AC joint while launching into a defender is not really something you can avoid. If you have recurring soft tissue injuries, pulled hamstrings, etc., etc., that's a certain kind of problem. Otherwise, there's such a thing as bad luck, and the Packers are having bad luck with injuries, and that's just kind of the way that it is right now. Could it derail our season? Yeah, maybe it will. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what to do about that. All I know is we move on to Cincinnati next week. We almost assuredly will not have um, Jair Alexander, and maybe moving forward with Stokes and King, unless Stokes is out for a prolonged period of time. And again, I don't really see a path to bringing in a top-tier corner. I don't see one that exists. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, if there's any pulling back at this point, we will be getting um, some official word or some kind of an update, I guess, on Wednesday. So we get uh, 48, uh, I get 48, you get 36-ish hours to stew and uh, worry and um, just, you know, deal with all the... GI issues that come along with worrying about Jair. But again, I um, I don't think we're going to be getting a lot of good news. At this point, good news is, you know, we're going to have to put him on IR and he'll be back in, you know, several weeks. As long as he's back by, let's say, the end of the year, I'm fine with it. If it's maybe he can make it back if we go on a deep playoff run, that's that's basically, that's, yeah, it's useless. Um, in other news, uh, apparently, speaking of injury news, Joe Mixon, the, um, I guess we'll call him star running back for the Bengals because he's as close to a star as they have on that team. Um, he's pretty good. He is injured with a ankle injury, and uh, reports earlier were that it sounds like he's definitely not going to play, although at this point it sounds like more and more um, he may. In other words, at one point, they were calling it week-to-week, week, which essentially means he's not playing. Now they said it's more day-to-day. Day. So um, at the very least, it's it's possible, borderline probable that he plays, but definitely something to keep an eye on because it completely changes the dynamic of that team without Joe Mixon on it. Anyways, with that said, I'm guessing most of you came here to get the uh, PFF insights for the day after the game. So um, why don't we just take a break right here? I do have some thank yous to uh, hand out here. We've got Michael Bachstadter. I gave it my best. And uh, Killian Ryan, who was nice enough to reach out and explain to me that it's Killian and not Cillian, which sounds silly. Like, why would you think an Irish guy would be Cillian instead of Killian? It's because it's a C. And I've noticed that in Ireland, they have a very masculine opinion of C, and in America, we just don't. That's the, one of the things I've learned about Ireland, America, and the letter C, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. But um, by the way, the overseas donation, in October, I think three out of the four people that have signed up on Patreon are out of the country. And that's followed up by, again, on the stream, I think I got, uh, I know one of them was from Brazil, I think, oh, Australia, I think was the other one. So we've got Australia, Brazil, Sweden, or Denmark, I'm not sure, and now Ireland, and I'm not positive where Michael is from, but I think it's either Sweden or Denmark or whatever. I don't know. Who all has the kroner? Is that just Sweden? I don't know why I lump all you guys together. That's probably offensive to you, isn't it? It's like here where it's like, I don't know, North Carolina, South Carolina, same thing. And then you go there and they stab you for saying that or something. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't care either. A better example would be Racine and Kenosha here in Wisconsin. Everybody in Wisconsin sees that as like one pile of, you know, this area down in the bottom corner by Chicago. You know, generally not great, but fine. They see themselves as vastly different and usually compete in a lot of different ways. Nobody else cares. <laughs> also got in trouble for saying Racine all the time, which, you know, I got scolded by somebody who lived there that it's Racine. So I've been saying it for years, and still when I say Racine, it sounds wrong in my mouth. But at the end of the day, none of this is information you need to know. So 
If I didn't save it, also uh, say it also. Thank you to Matt Sarver, as well as if I switch over here to Miss Heather Betzinger for your donations on Venmo. It's something that I forgot existed, but I've been forgetting to post the extra links in the descriptions and whatnot because it, uh, just sheer laziness, apparently. Because it's the easiest thing in the world to pull up that link, copy and paste. But I just I haven't done that for like months. But now that I've done it and people see that, apparently Venmo's a place where people can donate. So thank you guys for doing that. Really, really do appreciate that support. And now we are just five patrons away from my goal of getting back to almost where we were before the start of the month. <laughs> Which again, I completely understand. Especially, and, and again, this is why I don't like the yearly recurring things. Because people sign up for the year. It's a really big number. And it saves you for a year, but then when it comes back around, they're like, hey, do you want to pay that really big number again? They're like, forget that. I get that. I totally get that, which is why, you know, smaller monthly number, but it's fine. And I'm probably wrong because every organization in the world tries to get you set up for the year. So obviously they're panicked that their product is garbage and you're going to want to cancel. But I guess I just have a little bit more faith and confidence than that. But we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and dig in. Kind of just stick with the same format. We'll kind of do the zoomed out view, go with the overview for this game, look at specific stats, and then uh, probably just look at uh, some different overall things. Um, the biggest thing that stands out is there was a real big difference in this game between sort of, I guess you can call it the haves and the have-nots. There were some players that were like, holy cow, that's amazing. But there was a really big group of just not good enough. Um, for example... The fifth highest grade was 64.8, which is barely average, which was Aaron Rodgers, by the way. The jump after that goes to Aaron Jones at 74.2, so 10 points, then Devontae Adams at 76.9, then A.J. Dillon at 84.8, then Randall Cobb at 90.5, which, as somebody pointed out, I don't know if it was Dara or uh, Zach Cruz, one of those two guys was... All over the PFF stuff today, I was a little bit disappointing with my um, getting that stuff out, but I don't know, I was busy. But they had mentioned that this is not only a very, very good game, and not only is this the first time he scored two touchdowns since 2015, this is the highest grade he's ever received in his entire career, and he's been in the league since 2011. 
as good as this guy has been, according to PFF, for whatever that's worth, this this is, based on their grading system, the best game they've ever seen him play. The only thing that leads me to believe is it sounds like he should have had more, more uh, receptions and yards in this game. <laughs> it also is one of those grades that kind of confirms my suspicion that this probably isn't the end. Um, again, I don't know that you're going to have another 90 overall grade necessarily, but I would be surprised if um, he doesn't continue. In fact, to be completely honest, he had a 50 overall grade against San Francisco. He had an 80 overall grade against Detroit and a 68.4, which is basically a 70 again in New Orleans. He's got an 82.2 overall grade. He's only had this high of a grade, and the season isn't over, once in his career, and that was in 2014. So he's on track to um, have one of his best years ever, if he can keep this up, possibly even surpass 2014. Now, again, it's way too early, and it's kind of based on one game, but again, three out of his four have been pretty good. Now, by the way, to those of you saying, you know, I knew that they should have done this, it was obvious, it's clearly not obvious, based on the fact that I just said he hasn't done this since 2014. He's had basically two good years in his career since 2014. His grades since then, 68, 74, 64, 60, 69, and 71. He's been at best average forever. So I'm very happy. I'm glad that Aaron Rodgers saw this and that Randall Cobb felt this and they got something special and there's something kind of rejuvenating Randall Cobb because he kind of fell off out of nowhere. He was, I mean, geez, he's only 31, so... If we count backwards, 30, 29, 28, 27, 26, 25, he would have been 24 years old in his last good game. His drop-off would have occurred at 25. So that's not a physical kind of a limitation. There's something else weird going on there. But um, if it wasn't something physical that made him drop off, then maybe that thing that made him drop off is gone now. Just a thought. I don't know. I'm making things up at this point, but it's encouraging. It's a good thing. Um, as for the bads though, I mean, there, and there weren't even that many averages. Sometimes it's kind of, most of them are average and just a couple bads. Granted, there weren't too many horrifically bad, but only four guys greater out as average. And then you have Amari Rogers at 59, Yash at 57, Equinemius at 56, Mercedes at 55, Josh Myers at 52, Tunyon at 46, Newman at 44, and Deguara at 29. Um, again, I'm not overly concerned because they did such a fantastic job against this unit, even if they lost right away, whether it's the offensive game plan or whatever it was that caused there to be nothing, I'm still happy with what they did. Now, with that said, like I said, I'm, I'm glad that they can win when things aren't perfect, right? This is what winning imperfectly looks like when you're talking about PFF. And that's fine and that's good because, again, adversity is going to come up. But at the same time, I would like to see things get better, and I'm, I'm willing to be patient. I looked at it earlier, um, and we'll switch over to defense in a bit, but again, Savage and Amos are linked at the hip. They're the exact same grade, and I think they graded out as about average. I looked at it last year to see when their breakout games were, because remember, we still call them one of the best safeties duos in football because of what happened last year. Adrian Amos's first breakout game was week 10. Savage was week 11. So we just concluded week four. And that's, that's the other part of the reason why panicking and overreacting this early in the season is kind of silly because, I mean, Kenny didn't pick up until the... The point is, we don't know what this team is hardly at all. Not only do we not know what injuries are upcoming, but we don't know which guys are going to get better, which guys are going to get worse, what changes are going to be made to the offense and to the defense, and who's going to... Whatever. I You know, we don't really know anything yet. Which is also why just win is probably one of the most prudent and accurate... Um, sayings in football lore. Just win, baby, or whatever. Because that's what it is. Every week, you have different levels of op- uh, uh, obstacles. You have different levels of competency. You have different guys showing up, different guys not, different, you know, this, that, and everything's different. Just find a way to win. And that's why, again, the grit factor is so important because you can never plan on everything just being perfect. And when your whole plan is we're just better than everybody, what happens when things don't go right? You know, it's stupid analogy, but it's the first thing that popped up into my head. It's easy to win a lot of races when you have the best, most perfect bike in the world. On some level, though, you're going to have issues. You're going to have issues with the bike. You're going to have issues with the terrain. Sometimes it's uphill, downhill, bumpy, rocky, all these things. And all this perfect little bike isn't going to necessarily save you because that thing is built to go real fast on a straightaway, right? It's not a mountain bike. At least in my head, this analogy, it's not. It's one of those, uh, you know, Tour de France bikes. 
having somebody that's really skilled at navigating the complex terrain is beneficial. And that's what I think we have. But at the same time, I wouldn't mind getting a couple tune-ups to this bike. Does that kind of make sense? And I'm willing to be patient. I'm just pointing out Aaron Rodgers. And and by the way, this is this is every bit good news as it is bad news. It's it's probably more good news than it is me complaining. We have not seen Aaron Jones peak. We have not seen Aaron Rodgers peak. We have not seen this offensive line peak. We have barely scratched the surface with Amari Rodgers. We have not seen Tunyon do anything, and you know he's going to have at least one or two really good games. That's just the offense. Might as well flip over to the defense while we start talking about them. Um, Kingsley Kiki. You may have seen this already, but Kingsley Kiki was the highest graded guy, not only on defense, but on the entire team. Again, we've kind of been waiting for this big breakout game for Kingsley Kiki. I'm kind of hoping this is a Darnell Savage moment. What happened with Darnell Savage last year, and I'll pull it up so I can be accurate as I speak to this, but it was kind of a weird thing where he started off really, really bad for a really long time. And this might sound surprising because we just think about Darnell as just this elite freak, savage, whatever. Here's how his grades went in um, year two of his career with the Green Bay Packers. 38, 55, 66, 58, 64, 40, 58, 67. He had his first decent game in week 11 at 75.9, 76-ish overall. Then in week 12, he had a 96.3 overall grade. And I said on this podcast, 96.3 is one of those weird things where it doesn't, you know, anybody can have a fluke good game. However, really unlikely that somebody without a unique set of skills can ever get a 96.3. And I think that was... um, the highest grade that entire week for any NFL player. And lo and behold, um, not that he didn't have some bad games after that. In fact, it was more or less a one, two, three, four, five, six game stretch where he was really quite solid aside from the 37 overall grade. Um, But the last three games weren't very good either. But the point is, it's one of those that, I mean, if this was like a 70, it'd be like, all right, cool, you had a good day. But 91.3, that's sheer dominance. Right, if, if PFF's given you an elite grade, and, and by the way, it was entirely pass rush. He had a 91.7 pass rush grade, only a 59 run defense. So it was everything about his pass rush. The point is, what I'm seeing in this is a unique skill set. I don't know if this is necessarily authoritative, but there are certain guys I just don't think can achieve this. For example, I just ripped through Dean Lowry's entire career. He's never had a game in the 90s. He's had a few in the 80s. Um, He's had a good handful of 70s and a lot of 60s, but he's never had in his entire career a 93. And and again, so my my only thought on this is it kind of shows us what Jerry Montgomery is talking about, our defensive line coach, when he talks about how special he is. Obviously, like everybody else, what we need from him is more consistency in being this kind of a guy, but it's there, right? It's At least we can see that it's somewhere in there. It's just really just a question of can we get that more consistently more often? Because again, up to this point, he's been one of the worst football players <laughs> in football. Um, otherwise, uh, Devondre Campbell was number two. Just unbelievable how every single week he's up near the top. Rashawn Gary was our third highest graded uh, player with a 78.2. Uh, Devondre was 84.8 if I didn't say that. Chauncey Rivers Actually, at outside linebacker, kudos to him. He played 19 snaps, was a fourth highest graded at a 71.5. Otherwise, a huge pile of 60s. But again, on defense, um, really big drop-off. You go all the way down to 12th overall is a 60.2. Everybody after that is 50s, 40s, and 30s. So it goes from 60 down to a 51 for Preston Smith. Um, Again, he did okay as a run defender. Biggest knock against him was that the pass rush just was non-existent. He had 24 attempts and zero pressures on the day, which, again, I'll, I'll tolerate it as long as he holds that edge, but it would be nice to not regress here. Um, Oren Burks, 51. Isaac Yadam, 47. Eric Stokes, 44. Heflin, 40.2. TJ Slayton, 39. And then Ty Summers, 36. So we're starting to see the linebackers kind of drift back toward the bottom, which is unfortunate. But again, Devondre stays up near the top. Um, so that's sort of the offensive and defensive look at, uh, those guys. Obviously anybody that I didn't list is graded out as average. So Shamar, Gene Charles, uh, Adrian Amos, Kenny Clark, Darnell Savage, Chandon Sullivan, Dean Lowry, Jair Alexander, Jonathan Garvin, and Henry Black all graded out as average. 
I am somewhat interested also in snap count, so I want to kind of backtrack a little bit and look at that. Um, 60 clearly was the the maximum number because you can always tell who was out there the whole time. Stokes, Savage, Campbell, and Amos were out there for all 60 snaps, which Savage and Amos, generally your safeties are out there every single snap, which is um, not uncommon. But Devondre Campbell never came off the field, and Eric Stokes played every single snap, which is pretty cool. Probably mostly out of necessity, but still, I mean, it's we got our wish. Um, other notable things here, Kenny Clark obviously played the most among defensive tackles. He played 50 snaps. The next highest was Dean at 38. After that, you go down to Kingsley at 30. And then uh, what do we got? Anybody else? TJ Slayton down to nine. I mean, he's losing a lot of snaps. Jack Heflin at three. And um, the only thing I see changing is Kingsley getting bumped up a little bit over Dean Lowry. Not that he would necessarily be over, but based on that performance, maybe you start to see a little bit more. Um, outside linebacker, somebody had made the comment about why his snaps went down. He went down to 38 snaps. Why are they um, not playing them? Um, it did go down a little bit. Part of that depends on how many snaps there actually are on defense. But uh, he played more than anybody else. He led the outside linebackers in snap count. He had 38. Preston Smith had 36. Jonathan Garvin had 26. And Chauncey Rivers was at 19. Again, they just they just rotate those four out. Obviously, the top two guys are out there the most, Rashawn being more than Preston by a little. Circling back, looking at some of the statistics and whatnot. Um, Let's just do offensive line first, and we'll look at the total pressures. There were 11 pressures given up in this game. I know it didn't feel like it. It felt like there was almost none, but there were 11, which is still a pretty high number, um, at least for the Packers it is. For some teams, this would be a great day. But for the Packers, who set a very high bar, this is pretty high. Again, completely content with it. It didn't have too much of an impact. A lot of these pressures where Aaron Rodgers just kind of shifted to the other side and distributed, and he, he made it work. It was fine. But uh, they did exist. Um, looking at... Um, the total pressures, Yash led the team with three. He gave up two hits in a hurry. Uh, John Runyon, Josh Myers, and Billy Turner each gave up two. Runyon was a sack in a hurry. Uh, Josh Myers gave up two hurries. Billy Turner gave up a sack in a hurry. And then A.J. Dillon gave up one hit. Royce Newman gave up one hurry. I saw uh, J.J. had sent me on Twitter, a, uh, I think it was Matt LaFleur had said in the press conference that Billy Turner actually had the highest in their grading system, uh, he graded out as the best uh, offensive lineman on the team, which um, actually PFF agrees. They actually gave him the highest grade, which I thought was kind of strange that they commented on that. I don't know what the question was prior to that. I didn't listen to the press conference. But it seems weird because Billy is never the highest graded offensive lineman. And the one time that he was, Matt LaFleur felt the need to comment on him, which I thought was odd. By the way, it was a 63 overall grade. Um, he did have a decent enough pass blocking grade, but it wasn't exactly like he, you know, lit the world on fire. I, whatever. He he did a very good job. It's just a strange thing. Like, why did he even comment on that? But um, as far as the specific grades based on run or pass blocking, the only guy with a good run blocking grade the entire team is Alan Lazard. <laughs> go, go figure. Um, as far as offensive linemen, uh, next would be Devontae, then Randall, then Amari, then A.J. Dillon, then Aaron Jones, then Aaron Rodgers, then Equinemius, then Mercedes Lewis. Um, so you got to go all the way down here to 10th for John Runyon with a 58 overall grade. So according to PFF, they were not impressed with the run blocking, which explains A.J. Dillon's really high grade. Because you look at all the yards that he got, and you think, how do you get those yards without an offensive line? And then you go, oh, oh yeah, I guess I, guess I get it. Pass blocking, though. Somewhat impressive, again, considering all things considered with uh, the competition and whatnot, Aaron Jones had an 82.3 pass blocking grade. And it's funny because I specifically remember one of his blocks. I don't remember why I keyed in on it. Usually I do a bad job of watching them because I'm a, I'm a ball watcher, man. I'm just watching Rodgers and, you know. But for some reason, there was somebody coming and I saw Aaron Jones pick up the block and he just went right into the guy's chest and just held him. I mean, it was like an offensive lineman. It wasn't just like a pop in the chest and then he went around him. He held him for a, a second or two seconds, which sounds in insignificant, but in football terms, a smaller running back holding off a, a pass rusher for a full second after just laying into him and, and bringing him to a complete stop, that's unbelievably impressive. Now, we already know Aaron Jones is a very good blocker, but that kind of stunned me. Even... even knowing he's good. I You look at that matchup and think, oh, this is going to be ugly. And you see him just stonewall a guy that's quite literally probably almost twice his weight. I mean, maybe he's not 400 pounds, but 33% of his weight, whatever. 
It's pretty impressive. Uh, Billy Turner, 72.1 pass blocking grade. Again, really, really impressive. I know I threw a little shade, but um, it's just my nature. Believe me, very impressive. One that really surprised me was Josiah DeGuara with a 70 overall pass blocking grade. I only noticed like one or two plays, but um, he got blown up. Now, he did have 16 opportunities. So if I saw one or two out of 16, it's clearly possible that... uh, Actually, you know what? I might even be wrong too. It might have been a run blocking play. I could be completely wrong about that. It was he actually had 16 run blocking snaps, and I bet that's what it was. It was one of the plays where Aaron Jones had to bounce it, and uh, he just got completely run over. So pass blocking, he had a 70 overall grade, but only did that twice. Uh, 35 overall run blocking grade, he did that 16 times. So uh, there were some comments about how poor he's looking and all that. 29 overall grade, which is disappointing, but. Um, the vast majority of everything he did, 16 out of his 24 snaps was run blocking, and he did a poor job run blocking. So, you know, I'm excited for him to start running a few routes, but, he, you know, if he's going to get utilized in that capacity, he has to be able to run block, and he hasn't been able to do that. So uh, it's not looking good for my guy DeGuara right now, but there's time. There's time. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, we know most of the the stats already, but he did have one big-time throw, one turnover-worthy play, so he's keeping the turnover-worthy plays kind of low. Um, average depth of target was 9.9 yards, which feels high, but it's not a stat that I follow closely enough to really know. Zero drops on the day, which is awesome. Really good to see. Uh, I did have one batted pass, two throwaways. Time to throw on the day was 2.52 seconds, which is completely acceptable. 14 first downs, 95.6 passer rating. Um, pretty par for the course pressure, uh, situation here, which again is, is exactly why the offensive line playing at a high level is unbelievably important. Um, while kept clean, which was 75% of the time, again, very important, 74.1 overall grade. He completed 62% of his passes for 216 yards and two touchdowns. While under pressure, he had a 37 overall grade, completing 28% of his passes, two of seven for 32 yards, um, and a passer rating of 46.1 compared to 107.8. Rushing, I mentioned AJ Dillon was the star of the day, um, 84.9 rushing grade. Aaron Rodgers had a 67.2 rushing grade. Aaron Jones was 63.0. Obviously, that fumble kind of hurt him a little bit. That's kind of comes with the territory. But uh, 3.2 yards per carry for Aaron Jones, 5.4 for A.J. Dillon. Looking at some of the more advanced stats, uh, yards after contact per attempt, that always throws me, 2.67 compared to 2.2 for Aaron Jones. Um, missed tackles forced two for Aaron Jones, four for AJ Dillon. Um, they each had one carry for over 10 yards, uh, for Aaron Jones, it was 15 yards, AJ Dillon, 25 yards, man. I tell you what, that 25 yard scramble, first of all, I was positive and I made my daughter cry, which I don't feel great about. I was positive. (laughs) Everybody's dying to hear what happened. I was positive he was going to score a touchdown. But on top of that, I got flashbacks to Tennessee just watching him rumble. Oh my goodness, I get chills just thinking about it. But I was screaming so loud, my daughter came over crying. I'm like, what's wrong? Apparently, I just did my like screamy, scary, angry voice or something. I don't know. She's she's just started bawling her eyes out. And then to make it a little bit worse, she kind of comes over and does that whole like snuggle thing. And I'm like, all right, I'm sorry, whatever. And um, I think they shortly after scored a touchdown or something, and I started screaming again, and she just looked at me like, are you freaking serious? <laughs> and I looked at her like, what? She's like, you did it again. I'm like, what? I said, first of all, since when are you opposed to screaming? All you ever do is scream. She said, well, she likes it when she screams, but not when I scream. So I felt that was unfair, and I continued to scream the rest of the day. <laughs> Listen, the kids got to learn, all right? There's just a certain way that this house has to be. And on game day, this house is loud. And I'm usually the one telling everybody stop being so loud, which I'm not as crazy about now that we have our own home and don't have people in adjacent walls that I'm constantly freaked out about. But we do have people across the street that probably think we're crazy, but whatever. Point is, they're screaming on game day, and that's not going to change. And she's just going to have to learn to embrace it. Um, receiving grades on the day, just looking at specifically receiving grades. Randall Cobb had the highest receiving grade at an 89 overall. Aaron Jones had an 82.8 receiving grade. Devontae Adams, 75. AJ Dillon, 67. Lazard, 59. EQ, 56. Mercedes, uh, 51. Tunyon, 47. One of the weirdest stats in this whole group is the fact that yards per reception, the highest yards per reception was Aaron Jones with 17. 
generally running backs are like in the five yards per reception category because they're just catching these quick little screen passes and stuff. Maybe like seven-ish, I don't know. But very rarely do they have 17. And not only do they have 17, but um, they lead the entire team with 17 yards per reception. Three receptions on four targets for 51 yards. Pretty crazy stuff. By the way, also Aaron Jones, yards per route run, 2.04. Randall Cobb, 2.76. It really just goes to show his value in the passing game when you look at his yards per route run because essentially what it breaks down is um you know you look at four targets three receptions but how many times did he run a route same with randall cobb i talked about it yesterday when we went over snap counts how few how he had about half the amount of snaps Devonte did but had this many targets and receptions it just goes to show that when he's out there running a route you better watch him i'm talking about aaron jones but maybe randall cobb is somebody to keep an eye on now but, um, I mean, he's just, he's such a premier target. And you can see Aaron Rodgers just trusts him. And, and you, you understand why. He really is quite good. But uh, 2.76 yards per route run uh, for Randall Cobb, 2.04 for Aaron Jones. Lazard, for I think the second week in a row, had the longest reception of 28 yards. Again, zero drops, which is fantastic. Uh, contested catches, the team is still not very good at it. Devontae was uh, 0 for 1. Tunyon 0 for 1. Aaron Jones was 0 for 1. Equinemius was 0 for 1. Randall Cobb, though, again, star of the show, 100%. The the little guy, no offense, Randall, but the one guy you don't expect, right? Equinemius is a pretty big guy. Aaron Jones is a running back. Tunyon's a tight end. Devontae's got some big old strong hands. These are the guys you expect to catch the contested catches. Randall, I mean, he's a, re- a wide receiver and all, but not the one I would have put my money on. Uh, one missed tackle forced among the wide receivers, and that was Alan Lazard. First downs, uh, five for Randall Cobb, four for Devontae, two for Aaron Jones, one for A.J. Dillon, one for Alan Lazard. Passer rating when targeted, Randall Cobb, 154.2. Beautiful, lovely, gorgeous. And then back to defense, looking at some of the well, well, specific um, grades and then stats. Um, looking just at run defense, actually the top guy was Rashawn Gary with a 78 overall, which is actually pretty important. Um, two things are important here. Number one, he's always done a pretty good job with stats, but his pass rush grade has never really been all that great, and his run defense grade is almost never very good. There was a couple games where it was. This past week, the the um, despite the fact that he finally got a sack, his stats weren't superb. I mean, he had three pressures on 28 attempts, so he's right at about 10%, just a little over, which is fine. But again, it's not like world-beating. But the fact that PFF saw on a consistent down-to-down basis he was winning as a run defender, so going down the line here, Run defense, 78, tackling, 78, pass rush, 73. On top of that, he was at 10% pass rush rate and one sack on the day. To be completely honest, as much as I love his seven pressure days, I'll take this version of Rashawn Gary every day, every day. (laughs) But uh, second on the list was Devondre Campbell. Then you get a bunch of 60s and kind of high 50s. The only two guys that graded out poorly were TJ Slayton, which is ridiculously disappointing because that's the only thing that I care about with him. And Ty Summers, which, you know, whatever. Uh, tackling, unfortunately, and again, this was a very good tackling team. Last week, obviously, we had some issues. For the most part, everybody was great. Uh, TJ Slayton at 13th overall had a 68.6, basically a 70. So we got 13 guys with basically a 70 overall grade. Adrian Amos, who's always one of the top, if not the top in this list with an 82. Devondre with an 81.4 down and down the list. But after TJ Slayton is a big drop-off. Uh, you get all the way down to 48.4 for Eric Stokes, who missed uh, two tackles. Chandon Sullivan at a 40.7, who missed a tackle. Jair Alexander with a 32.6, uh, who missed a tackle. Obviously, he had one very good hit on that guy to save the game. But um, Oren Burks at a 29.4, who missed two tackles. Darnell Savage missed a tackle, had a 27.9 overall grade. And Henry Black with a 27.3 overall grade missed a tackle. So, um, again, mostly good, but you got a couple real big stragglers. Pass rush grades, obviously Kingsley Kiki, as I mentioned, 91.7. After that, Rashawn Gary, I mentioned 73.4. The only other guy with uh, something in the 70s, Devondre Campbell. He had one pressure on the day, but only rushed the passer four times. That's 25%. That's going to get you a good grade every time. Nobody really had a bad grade. Preston Smith, unfortunately, was the lowest of anybody, 51.8. Um, but you know, whatever coverage, uh, unfortunately only had one guy that graded out. Well, can you take a wild guess who that is? It's Devondre Campbell, 78.6. Um, 
We'll get into the stats in a little bit. But uh, a bunch of 60s and high 50s. Then you got Oren Burks at 52, Isaac Yadam at 46, and then Eric Stokes at 41. Uh, Looking at pressures, three for Rashawn, two for Kingsley Kiki, uh, one for uh, Devondre Campbell, and one for Kenny Clark. Kingsley Kiki also had the one batted pass for the day. Tackles, as we know, Eric Stokes is really high, but again, it's going to be really high when everybody's picking on you and you got to tackle the guy that got thrown to. Otherwise, Campbell was seven. We already went through the tackling stats. It doesn't matter all that much. Uh, forced fumble, Kingsley Kiki. And then uh, this is where, again, the stats... This is a pretty remarkable stat. Now, granted, 82 yards, no touchdowns in a pick, considering the numbers I'm about to tell you, that's actually quite impressive. Um, and again, if you factor in how many of these targets and receptions are because he was playing off, which might not have been his fault... There's something there, but 15 targets is somewhat unheard of. I mean, that's that's incredible. But only 10 of those were caught for 82 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. I would borderline say that's, <laughs> regardless of you know his coverage grade, and maybe they're just looking at you know negative marks for every time the guy across from him catches a pass. Which, again, it's their system, their grading, however they want to do it. But if, if the guy is 10 yards off and he catches a screen pass, I'm not docking him points for that. I don't, I don't know if they do. I'm just saying if it was my system, I wouldn't do that. But clearly he did have a couple bad things, and the tackling was pretty bad, but it was also slippery, and a lot of times guys were just falling down. But I'm making a lot of excuses because I want to like the guy, but uh, that, that is a staggeringly high number. Um, after that, Jair, five targets, three receptions, 46 yards, and a touchdown. And again, it's kind of BS. You take away the one pass, and what is it? It's five targets. This legitimately, if, 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 if that penalty didn't happen, this could have very easily been five targets, two receptions. I mean, what was that pass? Like 30 yards, 16 yards? Maybe not. It might even been more than that. But let's just say 16 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. I mean, just what? And, and again, the announcers are like, well, it was just a tap. Look at how drastic that difference is for Jair. 5-3-46 and a touchdown compared to 5-2, you know, five yards, zero touchdowns and a pick. And I, again, I, I'm, I'm making up the fact that he gets that pick, although I, he was he was, he was was gunning for that, but he was playing receiver at that point. But again, similar to Stokes last week, not this week, but last week, I'm looking at Jair going, mm, no, I, I mean, I get for their official grading system, they can't be overly subjective. They, they have to go with what the NFL says. The NFL says he gave up a touchdown. Now, again, if it's my system, I'm going to look at it a little bit more objectively and say, mm, no, I'm sorry, he got pushed. I'm not really, I'm not going to dock him for that. By the way, I'm still open to doing a uh, our own little Packers PFF thing if anybody wants to join in. Just a thought. I don't know how it would work, but the first step is to find people interested that have the time and energy and ability to put in the work, and then we just get to work. I have done grades in the past. I was doing it very similar to Pack-A-Day, where I started the daily thing right before he started. I started doing grades right before Andy Herman started doing grades, and then I kind of gave up, and he kind of blew up because of it, but you know, it's fine. Point is, I have kind of a template in mind of how it would break down. The other cool thing about it is it's not just, you can kind of break it down more so than PFF does, where you look at, you know, uh, down distance uh, I had alignment down for, you know, 21 personnel or whatever the case may be. And then you can kind of break it down zone, man, if you wanted to. It's not that hard to do. You just observe what it is and then you can kind of kind of have all that information. So in other words, I think we can do a better version of PFF that is Packers specific. And I would be willing to do it. I just don't have time. So we've got two, three options. One, just say, forget it. We're not doing it, which is a stupid plan. Two, I need about... Uh, Let's just call it 5,000 more patrons. <laughs> 2,000, whatever. For three, I need some volunteers that want to get to work on this. Anyways, special teams grades, we had one star, and that was Isaac Yadam, so redeemed himself. The guys that were kind of on the bottom of the list, Isaiah McDuffie, 47, Robert Tunyon, 47, Malik Taylor, 38, and Equinemius, 35. Equinemius is keeping himself at the bottom of every single list, and that's getting to be disappointing. As a, as a guy that was a big Equinemius fan for a while, I'm kind of just becoming over it. Uh, looking at the returners, uh, 60 for Amari, 60 for Aaron, 60 for Kylan, nothing super special there. Aaron Jones, we went over the stats, one for 10, et cetera, et cetera, so it's not really worth going over, but uh, grade-wise, nothing. And then finally, looking at the kickers, Mason Crosby, 64.6, uh, Bajorquez, 64.1. So again, it's really hard to not get any or to get anything better than a 60. 
So it's fine. But uh, looking specifically at what Bajorquez did, three attempts, 138 yards, 46 yards per attempt, 41.3 net, which I think is a pretty solid net, to be honest. Uh, 57 yards was his long, kicked one inside the 20, only one was returned for 14 yards. Um, 4.34 average hang time is a pretty low hang time, but you know, he's kicking them pretty far. That's probably the reason I did. I, I, I can't remember if I hit post or not. I was kind of marinating on it, but, uh, I looked up, I was just looking at stats. I, I wanted to find something cool for the history of the Packers and somewhere where we rank either really high or really low. And I was just kind of going through a bunch of stuff. And the only thing that popped up was right now, Bajorquez is listed as third overall in terms of through through four game uh, four games four weeks whatever, Bohorkas right now has the Packers third ever in franchise history in average punt yards per game, so that's pretty cool. The problem is for all the people who are like, yeah, this was a great switch. The guy in first place is J.K. Scott in 2019. <laughs> he holds the top spot. So I wanted to find something cool, but that was the best I could do. Again, it, it makes me sad that the hate J.K. Scott got this entire time um, because it really didn't appreciate how good he was. I mean, they got rid of him for a reason, and I get it. And Bohorquez is super special, so they're like, let's pull the trigger while a guy like this is available. I get it. I fully acknowledge he's been better than than um, J.K., at least on a consistency basis. I think in terms of overall hang time distance and stuff so far, J.K. kind of has the edge a little bit. But uh, again, the consistency thing, I'm happy with it. I just wish... JK would have gotten a little bit more respect because he did a good job. Anyways, I'm not going to go over the uh, the whole, you know, looking at the Packers compared to the NFL. We'll save that for tomorrow because I got to get going. It's already 7.15. I've squandered my entire day of uh, family being gone. I can kind of watch some TV. No, I'm doing the podcast all day because I can't stay off social media and stuff. And I got to go take care of the dog and all that stuff. So anyways, you folks have yourselves one heck of a day. I will talk to you all tomorrow. By the way, um, later tonight, I'm going to be recording with the boys over at the Unknown Packers podcast, uh, Bryce Nebels and, um, and uh, Ken Ingles. So uh, be on the lookout for that, I guess, tomorrow, but I'm going to forget to remind you. So be on the lookout for that tomorrow. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with them, be sure to check them out. This is my second time going over on their podcast. I don't think I've ever done anything with Ken or Nebels, but um, I have with Bryce, and uh, he's, he's a good dude. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.